you to go ahead and stand one last time in honor of the reading of the Word of God, please. And then I'll allow you to be seated the remainder of service. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 starts this way. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Pay great attention to verse 32. This is a great mystery. I speak concerning Christ in the church. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let us pray. Father, this morning we are so thankful for your presence. God, I have sensed you uh, many times already this morning as we have come together to worship you. God, we are so grateful for everything that you have done recently and sinners that have been saved, lives that have been changed, homes that have their destiny has been altered forever. God, you have been glorified. We are we do not take for granted, Lord, your move and your presence and God, how you have been with us, Lord, at this church in a very special way in the last several months. God, I ask now, Lord, that you'd anoint me this morning to preach your word in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. God, I pray that you would give understanding to your people this morning, that you would be glorified. We pray if anybody here this morning needs to be saved, God, that you would save them. Lord, we don't want anybody to go to hell. Lord, you don't want anybody to go to hell. And Lord, this morning we pray, God, if there be anybody here that's not saved, God, whose destination is eternity in hell, Lord, that you would save them forever to the uttermost. God, we just ask that you'd have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I have used this passage many times, and it's proper to do so, concerning marriage, concerning a husband and a wife. It is probably one of the most famous and most used passages in wedding ceremonies, and rightfully so. Verse 32 tells us something interesting. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Paul tells us that really the reason I use the words that I used and the reason I spoke to men about marriage and spoke to women about being wives, the reason that I use that is to give you the mental picture, something you can identify with that most closely resembles the relationship that Christ has with the church. I have been... Uh, in, I, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess just compelled by the Lord to 
take the next several weeks. I don't know how many sermons it's going to take. It may be a month. It may be two months. But to deal with something that is very important, and that is the question, what is the church? What's the purpose of the church? How does the church do what God tells it to do? And I'm going to do something this morning. I'm going to start a series titled, The Divine Design of God's True Church. I want to answer the question first, what is the church? What does God think of the church? I want to deal with what is the mission of the church. I want to deal with what about the government of the church? Finances, how should they be spent? How do you determine positions? You'll be interested to know that there are some things within the church you can't decide to do. There are some things in the church that only God Himself can call a person to do. And then there are other things that you can decide to do, that you can just volunteer to help in. If we are going to continue to move forward, and we will, by the grace of God, we need to know God's design for the church. Look around this morning. We're packed. Especially when the kids are in here. We're packed. We have hit the capacity that they say you can't grow anymore. I don't necessarily believe that's true. I think we can grow a little bit more. We're going to need the supernatural intervention of God to help us take the next steps that are going to be required to cross the threshold into the next phase of our ministry. But before we do that, it is very important that we as a church understand God's design for the church. What is your role? What is your part? Are you doing your part? Are you being used of God in the capacity God wants you to be used in? We're going to look at the body of Christ and what that means. We're going to look at the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at the ministry gifts of God's people in Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at the difference between those and um, the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And over the next several weeks, I'm going to answer the question of how does the church work? Where do we get our life from? Where do we get our power from? What is our purpose? And I'm just asking God to help me kind of move one step at a time. I don't have any... You would laugh at my notes this morning if you saw them. I have no great flow. I'm just wanting to get started. And so I encourage you to keep coming on Sunday mornings. I encourage you to pay close attention. I encourage you, if you're a note taker, to take notes. So I have chosen this morning to start with Ephesians chapter 5. The great mystery concerning Christ and the church. What can we learn about the church in Ephesians chapter 5? First of all, we learn that as with the home, God has an order for the church. The church is not just meant to be a place of chaos, where whoever is loudest gets the biggest say-so. It's not meant to be a place of just uh, confusion, where it's all a free-for-all. It's not necessarily meant to be a place of voting either, where always the majority wins. There is an order for the church. And that order is found in the Scriptures. 
We believe that the Bible teaches us that there are certain ministries. You find that in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to be quoting lots of Scripture. Um, and so you, if you want the references, you're going to have to write them down. We believe that there are different ministries in Ephesians chapter 4 that God actually calls people into. We believe there's nine gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We believe that local congregations, according to the Bible, are to be overseen by elders and deacons. And I will define at a later point in time, what are elders? What does that mean? What are deacons? What are pastors? We believe that every single member of the church has a a position in the body. There is a reason for you. There is no one that is exempt from their role in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 11 through 31 teaches this. We believe that the church must be led by the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. We believe that we are to gather together as the body of Christ. Now, I want to ask the question, can these things be counterfeited? Yes, they can. Every gift of God can be and is counterfeited by the human mind and by powers and principalities, demons, devils, false teachers. Even salvation itself is counterfeited. Worship is counterfeited. The Bible is counterfeited. Ministries are counterfeited. Healing is counterfeited. Miracles are counterfeited. Prophecy is counterfeited. Tongues are counterfeited. And of course, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are also counterfeited. This, however, makes the real no less real. Matter of fact, you can't have a counterfeit unless there's a real thing to start with. But because all these things can be counterfeited, we need spiritual discernment to know what is true and what is not. What is real and what is fake. The devil is a master of deception. All he really is, is a counterfeiter if you think about it. He has no creative power of himself. He was a created being. The devil cannot create like God created. He cannot speak into existence like God spoke into existence. So what he does, he tries to mimic God. His fall was what? He looked at God and thought, God is great and powerful. I too can be this. And he tried to set himself up as a God, but he was a counterfeit. We see that he has counterfeited religion. The idea of worship that should be devoted to God. We see He's counterfeited multitudes of religions since the beginning of time. We see God created love, a selfless love. The devil has counterfeited a selfish lust. And it can look and feel so similar to those without a spiritually discerning eye. We know that in the end, the devil will counterfeit miracles that would deceive the very elect if even that were possible. And I will submit to you the absolute worst and most dangerous counterfeiting job that the devil has ever schemed up is not the counterfeiting of other religions, but it is the counterfeiting of Christianity, packaging it in Christian terms when it is not really Christianity at all. 
It is a religion that calls itself Christianity that is not really led by God-called pastors, by spiritual men who are followers of God and leaders of God's people. It is a religion where grace is trumped over as some excuse to live in sin and infidelity. It is a religion where God is no longer holy and God is no longer the absolute authority. It is a religion where the Word of God is is watered down and it is not thought of as the absolute, infallible, inspired Word of God that is the ultimate authority in our lives. And the church of the living God, I call it the true church. Brothers and sisters, we need a spiritual awakening. We need to be in tune to the reality of the real thing and what it looks and how it's supposed to work. And we need to know that our God has a divine design for the workings of His church, which He shed His blood for, that we might have life. And so, I want to tread this subject carefully. I'm not going to throw it all out and a bunch of nuggets to get it out in one single message. I'm just going to let God lead us and do, do my best to help us as God's people understand how the church is supposed to work. What is the real church? What is the purpose of the church? What is the body of Christ? These are important questions. And what is your role in it this morning if you were saved? With that, by way of introduction, let's look at our text. Ephesians chapter 5. We see, first of all, that God uses the idea of marriage and of a man and a woman to represent the church. Here's what it tells us about the church this morning. That the church is God's prized possession. That in all of the relationships that our human minds can understand and that our emotions can relate with, There is none more intimate than the relationship between a man and a woman in the relationship of marriage. God said, that's the way I see the church. I love her. The church is extremely important to God. So incredibly important that He was willing to die for her. We see that not only does He love the church, but He is concerned about the purity of the church. Look at verse 26. That He might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the Word. Verse 27. That He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. This is God's desire for the church, that she should be holy and without blemish. God's desire is to have enough authority over our lives, which is something I'm going to deal with in the weeks to come, spiritual authority. God desires to have so much authority over our lives that He is constantly purging us and cleansing us of our infirmities. His desire is to present us as as holy and clean and undefiled. In order for this to take place, the church must be under the submission of God. Notice it says we are members of His body, of His flesh and of His bones. We are members of His body. 
This morning, the one thing that separates the church from every other religious organization in the history of the world is that the true church I'm talking about is alive. It is a body. It is a living, breathing organism. It is not a set of rules. It is not a membership role of people. The church is a living, breathing organism that actually plays the most significant role of any organism on earth. We have a purpose. We have been breathed to life by the Spirit of God. And we have a mission to be the body of Christ. That means His hands and His feet. That means His mouthpiece. I want you to think about something for a moment this morning. Every single one of you, every one of you who is saved, you are saved because the body reached out to you. Every one of you. I thought about my own testimony and how... I was at a place in life where I was ready to die and I didn't want to live anymore and I was sick of life. I didn't have any Christian friends inviting me to come to church. I didn't have any Christian grandparents telling me I needed to be saved. And as I began to contemplate the I thought of killing myself, I thought about the reality of hell. Obviously, I'd heard it somewhere in time. And I picked up a Bible. And I thought about this. Where did I get that Bible? I got it about four years earlier from a Gideon who was doing his job in the body of Christ, standing in the streets, handing out the Word of God. And so I opened up the Word of God, and the Word of God began to work in my life. And I began going to church trying to figure out if I really believed in God at all. And I'm, most of you have heard my testimony before. The day that I got saved, where was I at? I was at church. And there was a man preaching. With the power and the unction of the Holy Ghost on his life. And God arrested my heart and I turned to him, repented of my sins, placed my faith in him. I was born again, regenerated, and at that moment I took my place in the body of Christ. And it has altered my life forever and my eternal destiny. But the fact remains, it was contact with the body of Christ that led me to the Lord. And every single one of you this morning, under the sound of my voice, if you are truly born again, and you look at your life, and you look at your story, somewhere, in some place, you had to come in contact with the true church before you were saved. That is an amazing thought. We have an incredibly important and daunting task. We are the apple of God's eye. He loves us. He sent His Son to die for us. But we are a living and breathing organism. The church is not a place that people go. The church is something that the people of God are. Now, where does the church get its life? In James chapter 2, verse 26, it says, The body without the Spirit is dead. 
The church gets its life from the Spirit of God. The church gets its life from the Spirit of God. Look with me at Romans chapter 15, verses 13 through 19. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember I said that everything that God gives us that is real that the spiritual things that happen in the church can be counterfeited. There's a counterfeit hope. There's a counterfeit joy. There's a counterfeit faith. There's a counterfeit worship. But there is the real thing. And here's what you will see as we read through these passages. The real thing only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. It can't be manufactured. It can't be worked up. It can't be thought up. It only comes by the power of the Holy Ghost. That you may abound in hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the life of the church. It's foundational that we understand this. And as we continue to go forward, I will teach you how do we depend upon the Holy Spirit. But it first must be settled as a divine established fact in the hearts of God's people that our life comes from the Spirit and nowhere else. Until you know that and you see that and you receive it and believe it in the depths of your core, you will always try to function as a Christian in the power of your own fleshly strength. And that's counterfeit power. And it doesn't really work. But the real deal works. The real deal is supernatural. The Holy Spirit is supernatural. Let's continue to read through 19. Now, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, and that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. All right, sanctification. This is a very important word that you understand in the Christian life. Sanctification is a process whereby we are made into the image of God. It It is probably the single word that best describes the process of Christian maturity, of maturing from a child in the faith to a teenager in the faith, to a young adult in the faith, to a seasoned elder in the faith. Sanctification is a process where God changes us and continually conforms us into the image of God. How is it done? By the Holy Spirit. That's how. Not just by learning, not just by facts. See, this is one of the reasons, and I pray that God gives you spiritual ears to hear me this morning. This is one of the reasons that so many people in the church spend their whole life in the church and they are really no more deep spiritually 20, 30 years down the road than they were the first three or four years they were saved. Because they try to mature in the power of their own strength. Because they think that somehow head knowledge is going to change them. 
They think that being able to answer more questions about Christianity or being able to memorize more Scripture or being able to to quote this or quote that somehow makes them more spiritual. The Word of God is very important. I am not saying you shouldn't memorize the Word of God, but I'm saying this. Head knowledge in and of itself doesn't change us. And if you think you can do anything, oh, hear me this morning when I say this. If you think you can do anything, Without God, you are mistaken. Anything spiritual, anything of eternal significance. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Many of you have heard me make this statement before, but it's worth repeating. There's a lot of things we do without Jesus. There's a lot of humanitarian things that go on. There's a lot of organizations out there that are not Christian at all, that feed homeless and that take care of orphans. And There's a lot of things that we do without Jesus. But Jesus said, all of those things that you do, put them in one big pile and I'll describe the best word to define what they are. Nothing. Nothing. You can do nothing without Him. You cannot mature without Him. You cannot be sanctified without Him. You cannot work in the the realm of, of God's work without Him. You can do nothing without Him. Our life comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. And the church again must learn to do everything we do with a humble and utter dependence upon the Spirit of God to move on us and to move in us and to move through us if we are to see the work of God done through these hands and feet of ours. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're sanctified. Verse 17, Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. See, there's really nothing else to glory in if it doesn't pertain to God, brothers and sisters. Everything else burns away with a fervent heat. All of your wealth, you can't take it with you. Your fame will die when you die. The only thing that matters are the things that pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. Look at verse 19. In mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Elicrum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. In mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. I'm not going to deal with it this morning because I'm going to deal with it in depth in the weeks to come. But the Spirit of God still works signs and wonders. God is not any weaker today. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And the same strength that parted the Red Sea, the same strength that raised Dorcas from the dead in Acts chapter 12, the same strength that brought Lazarus out of the grave, the same strength that made the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the lame to walk, the same power of God exists today. But it must be done and used through the power of the Spirit of God. It's not something you can just choose to do in your flesh. You have to be led by God. And I ask the question, where is the power of God in the church today? We have seen some of it here. But I'm telling you, we have a long ways to go. We have seen miracles here. We have seen the sick healed. We have seen those diagnosed with terminal cancer. Three brain surgeries. No more hope. 
healed, completely healed, no signs of cancer. It wasn't the chemo. They were ready to die, and they, and all of a sudden it went away. We've seen that happen here. Supernatural, miraculous healing. God still works in that way. But we are lacking. There is more that God wants to do. But if we don't understand how the church works, if we don't understand our role, if we don't understand how these things happen and and why they work in God's order, we'll mess it up more times than not. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter two, verse four. Before I read the passage, I, I, I want, especially those of you that might not know, I want you to understand something. The apostle Paul is writing this passage. His name used to be Saul. Before God saved him, blinded him, knocked him off of his high horse, he used to be Saul. And Saul used to be, the Bible says, a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm just going to give you the modern day English of what that means. He was the most educated philosopher there was out there. He was considered one of the top absolute uh, fathers of, of that time of the Jewish people. He was not just a Pharisee, which is in high regard. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. This is a man who had spent his life expounding the Scriptures, teaching the Word of God, explaining the mysteries of Old Testament prophecy. Here's a man who, if he ever had persuasive speech, it would have been him. If he ever knew how to wow the crowd with amazing thoughts, it would have been him. But here's how he said he did it. Look at verse 4. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The church of the living God has to get this straight again. It is not about speaking persuasive words that sound more wise than the dissenters. It is not about being able to win an argument against the nation's leading atheist. It is about the power of God. You can't argue the power of God. If you were here during the revival, you can't argue with the power of God. It changes lives just being in the presence of the power of God. The Holy Ghost begins to move in the depths of a man's soul in the places where the mind cannot reach and it has the power to change somebody forever. We've got to get this straight. I have watched this nation's uh, um, cast of pastors be drawn into this lie that we've got to be able to argue better. We have to stay up with the latest and be able to outwit the guys across the street. And we have abandoned the truth that when God shows up, God moves and the power of God changes lives and it speaks for itself. It doesn't need us to come up with great words of wisdom. We need the move of the Spirit of God. 
That's what we need. This morning, if you're lost and your life has not been changed, you don't need me to give you some great expository matter this morning on the teachings of Scriptures. You need the power of the Holy Ghost to touch your heart and wash you from the inside out and change you forevermore. That's what you need. And God can do it. This is the way the church works. It is alive. And the reason the true church is alive is because the Spirit of God, which is alive, is in the true church and it works in the true church. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now look at verse 10. But God has revealed them, the truths, to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Oh, this is a very important principle that we've got to get a hold of in Christianity. Concerning the body, concerning the church. We receive truth through the Spirit. It is deeper than head knowledge. It only goes so far. If you do not have the Spirit teaching you the Word of God, if you do not have Spirit-led teachers and preachers teaching you the Word of God, everything that will come out will come out the way it did with the Pharisees. For the most part, correct. For the most part, yeah, that sounds right. But can we be honest this morning? How many of you know or know of, and I don't want to show hands, I'm just trying to... to, to uh, help this morning and deal with the reality. I'm not the type of guy to cut down other churches. If you've been here any length of time, you know that. But how many of you know churches that aren't changing lives? I mean, everything flows pretty well. Everything seems right. The messages seem pretty crisp and pretty accurate. They sing about Jesus like we sing about Jesus. They go to church the ways that we go to church. They have outreaches the same way we have outreaches. I mean, really, they look pretty much the same. But when you get to know the people, including the leaders, and you really see their life, very little change at all. They still walk in the flesh, operate in the flesh. You see, one of the sneaky things about the flesh is that the flesh is prideful, And the flesh, especially in the Christian realm, the flesh is willing to repent of the evil things of sin as long as it can look like a great upstanding citizen in the eyes of the rest of the church. And now all of a sudden, instead of the pride of of alcoholism and drugs and, 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 and fornication and sexual immorality and all of that, we leave that to the side and then we come over here and we function in the in still in the flesh and really we're just prideful. We want authority. We want to look good. We want everybody to think we're wise. We want everybody to think we're something special. And so what we're really doing is trying to build up ourselves. And when you get around that person, you'll find 
especially in the battle, especially in the attack, he's still ruled by the flesh. And the sad truth is, that reality is what plays itself out in the majority of our churches in our country. And I know, because I'm a pastor, I spend time with pastors, I go to ministerial alliance meetings, I, I know. I know. Because we have too many who are not really led by the Spirit. Too many who think they can know the things of God by simply reading a book. And they have not understood yet we can do nothing without God. For the Spirit searches things, the deep things of God. Verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Another principle of the church, God has freely given us all things. Ephesians chapter 1, we see that too. We just aren't aware of what we have. We aren't aware of who we are. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual with spiritual. Now look at verse 14, please, carefully. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they're foolishness to him. The problem with the modern day pulpit is that the pastor is aware, and normally he's part of the problem, but the pastor is aware that 90% of his congregation are natural men. They're not spiritual men and women. They're natural. They're carnal-minded. They think in the flesh. They walk in the flesh. They act in the flesh. And in his desire to keep his job and to have a paycheck and to be liked by everyone, he crafts messages week after week after week that the natural man can understand. But the Bible says the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit. They're foolishness to him. Christian teacher... Christian preacher, if what you say never sounds like foolishness to anybody, you're not teaching spiritual things. There are some here this morning that are thinking, what are you talking about, dude? That's because you're a natural man. You're not a spiritual man. It's the tragedy of the hour that we live in. Can I tell you something? I'm going to pause for just a moment. God is doing awesome things in this church. Awesome. We have seen people saved almost every Sunday morning service now for about a month and a half. We had six people saved during the revival. We've had devils cast out of people, delivered and saved. We've seen people heal. We're continuing to grow. We've watched homes absolutely, radically change forevermore. That said, it is time that we get it together. If we don't, who else will? The type of thing that I'm teaching on Sunday morning right now is typically what I would do on a Wednesday night. If you don't come on Wednesday night, this is the type of thing that typically I would do. Deal with the depth of God's Word. 
And the reason I don't generally deal with it on a Sunday morning is this reason. I'm just being honest with you this morning. If you hurt your feelings, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But the reason I don't normally do this on a Sunday morning is because those people who only come on Sunday mornings are generally pretty shallow. They're generally pretty natural. And I know the natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. So why would I waste your time and mine telling you something you can't even hear? So, Pastor, then why are you doing this on a Sunday morning? Because I believe in the depths of my heart it is time for some of you to become spiritual men and women. And that if this church is going to be all that God wants us to be, you need to hear it. And if you're not going to come on Wednesday night to hear it, I'm going to give it to you now. That's what I believe. And I sure hope you hear my heart. If that made you feel condemned, you didn't hear me right. I'm not trying to be condemning. Okay? I'm not. But my point is this, and it is true. The natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit. Look what Paul says. And he's speaking to the same people. And keep in mind, there weren't chapters. There wasn't chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. It was just a letter. Look at, look at chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren... I know this is a no-brainer, but who is brethren? The church? He's not talking to heathens, is he? He's not talking to the lost. He's not talking to those who have not been saved. He's talking to the saved, the redeemed of God. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal. As to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. And look at this. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. Hey, don't think just because you're a Christian that you can receive the things of God. Don't think that just because you're born again that you actually understand everything the preacher says. Because if you're carnal, you see through a carnal lens. Here's the point this morning. The church is a spiritual church. Our life comes from the Spirit. Our direction comes from the Spirit. Our leading comes from the Spirit. Everything that happens in the true church, everything that actually happens that God does is done through the power of the Holy Spirit, including the preaching, including the teaching, including the hearing and the seeing. All of it is done through the power of the Holy Ghost. We have to understand this. I ask this question, and this will show you where you're at. You want to ask yourself the question, am I a carnal Christian or a spiritual Christian? I'm going to give you a really good indicator right now. And only you can be honest with your heart. If you're a carnal Christian, you showed up this morning without any consciousness that you need the power of the Holy Ghost to help you understand what I'm going to preach. If you thought you could just show up and listen and probably get it, more than likely you're a carnal Christian. You have not learned the need for total, utter dependency upon the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And you think you can work without Him. You think you only need Him to understand the great, difficult things of life. 
That you only need the Spirit of God to give you unique revelation when you're really trying to study something hard. But everything else, on the other hand, you got it. We have got to become spiritual people. I love you all very much. As your pastor, I love you. God has entrusted you into my care, and I take that as a deep, deep responsibility. My job is to lead you, by the way, not to push you from behind, not to crack you with a whip and force you to go a certain direction. My job is to lead you to be doing what I'm saying, to be living what I'm preaching, so that you can look at me and say, I understand that, let's go that direction. Now can I tell you something from my heart? We have one of the most spiritual churches around. There's others that are spiritual churches. I'm not saying we're the only one. But we are seeing real spiritual work done that affects eternity. And we're seeing things done that can only be done through the supernatural power of God. That said, it's my honest opinion that about 80%, that would probably be the number I'd put on it, about 80% of you here under the sound of my voice this morning that are truly saved, let's just deal with those that are saved, 80% of you are very carnal. And you're not near as spiritual as you think you are. 80%. That's my honest evaluation. You're satisfied with where you are. Satisfied with just having a spot satisfied with just going through the motions and, 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 and giving your tithe and being at events and doing your Christian thing. So you're satisfied. But I'm telling you, when the Spirit of God has full control of your life, when you hear from God, when you walk in the power of the Spirit, your eyes will be open to the reality of some things I said earlier. We are the only entity on earth that carries out the work of God. That's it. That's it. And now when we think about how many aren't carrying out the work of God within the church, and we think about the small remnant of those who are truly living each day, waking up to be led by the Spirit, those who are under the authority of God in every area of their life, when we think about that super small group of people, how can it not move us with a desperation to be men and women of prayer, seeking God, seeking the face of God for a move in our communities, asking God to help us be sensitive each and every day to what He wants us to hear, asking God to help us be sensitive to who He wants us to reach out to. We have become so self-centered, we've turned the Gospel to about us. The Gospel is all about me. Hey, what can God do for me? There might be somebody here this morning, you're contemplating whether or not you want to give your life to God. You're contemplating whether or not you want to honestly serve God and surrender to Him. And what you're wondering is, is it really in it? Is it really worth it? What's in it for you? Let me speak to your carnal nature. First of all, nothing's in it for you. Shame, suffering for the cause of Christ. Paul said that we may know Him in the fellowship of His sufferings. Persecution. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul said that we are crushed, perplexed on every side. That's what's in it for you. Not a new car. 
not three Cadillacs, not a guarantee that all your bills are going to be paid at the end of the month. That's what's in it for you. Well, why would I want to be saved then, preacher? Listen to me carefully. I'm going to tell you, this has got to be be the message of the church. It is the message of the church. Here's why you need to be saved. Because if you don't, sir, and if you don't, ma'am, you're going to spend forever in the pits of a literal hell separated from everybody you know, separated from God, and you will never have the opportunity to repent in that place. That's why you need to be saved. Because you have sinned against a holy God. Because all of us have sinned. And you are unrighteous in His eyes. And you will stand guilty before Him and be condemned to an eternity of hell apart from God if you don't turn to Him and run to Him and be saved. That's why you need to be saved. And if the fact that He shed His blood for you, if the fact that He looked at you and said, I love you enough, even though you have lied, even though you have sinned, even though you have stolen, even though you have sinned against Me and gone your own way, He loved you enough to send His Son to die on your behalf, to take all of your penalties upon His shoulders so that He could forgive you, so that you could be set free. If that's not enough to serve Him, 50 cars never will be. That's why you need to be saved this morning, because you're lost. I'm not real concerned about your natural world. I'm not real concerned about your home or your cars or your bills. I'm concerned about your soul. I'm concerned about you. Who cares if you do all of those things and lose your own soul? Jesus said, what does it gain a man if he gets the whole world and loses his own soul? God's not concerned about those things, brothers and sisters. He's concerned about you. He's concerned about saving you. This is the message of the church. We serve a God who's concerned about your soul. Are you spiritual or are you carnal? Do you realize that the great commission of the church, which I'll deal with in, in weeks to come, for us to go out and to be saved, or for us to go out and, and, and preach the gospel and see those saved, for us to go out and take the Word of God to all nations, that's been handed to us. Do you realize you have a role in that? Is your Christianity about me, or is it about God? Is your Christianity about what God can do for you, or is it about what you can do for God to build His kingdom? You want to know if you're carnal or if you're spiritual? Look at your prayer life. How much of it do you spend asking God to build your little earthly kingdom? To make your kingdom a little bit better. And how much of it do you spend asking God, Lord, show me how I can build your kingdom. God, show me how I can add to your kingdom today. The church is a living, breathing entity. We are God's body through which He functions at this present time. I have to shut down. 2 Corinthians, last passage I want to read. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Look at that quick statement. For you 
are the temple of the living God. You are the temple of the living God. The life of the church is actually the life of God. The life of the church is actually the life of God. For you are the temple of the living God. The life that God gives us is His very own. He lives in us. The power that works out of us is the power of the living God. It's not another power that He gives us. It's not a power other than God. It is God Himself. This is the source of our life. And the true church is a regenerated, living, breathing organism. You know what that means this morning? So I'll go ahead and ask our worship team to come. Here's what it means to you this morning. If you have not been regenerated, if you have not been born again, you're not part of the true church. Now, you can be a member on the roll. You can show up and sing songs. You can convince everybody around you that you're a Christian. But if you have not truly been born again, you're not part of the true church. You have to be regenerated by the power of the Holy Ghost. When Nicodemus came to Jesus, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Unless a man is born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Not baptized. You can be baptized 400 times and still go to hell. Baptism follows true salvation. You have to be born again. Regenerated by the power of the Holy Ghost. And you can't be part of this body. The true living organism the Bible calls the church. The body of Christ. You can't even be part of it and actually function in any real capacity where you're doing things spiritually uh, that, that have spiritual implications. You can't do it if you have not been born again. Now this morning, I have laid the foundation for where we're going. I have laid the foundation that brothers and sisters, talking to you this morning, church, we must be led by the Spirit. We can't do anything without the Spirit of God. Principle number one. Principle number two. We are a living organism. That means we have a purpose. We are a body. Hands, fingers, feet, eyes, everything else. We are a body. We have a function. And in order for us to do what God's called us to do, everything we do must be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only what we do externally, but what we take in internally. The way that we understand the Word of God, the way that we hear the Word of God. What did Paul say? I wanted to talk to you as spiritual brothers and sisters, but I could not. Because you're carnal. My prayer is that this very morning, and as we continue to move forward, that many of you will have the revelation that only God can give the revelation that you're still carnal. That you need to become a spiritual believer. A spiritual man. That you need to walk in the Spirit. Can I tell you something? If you don't know what it actually means to walk in the Spirit, if I say that term, you don't know what that means, you're probably carnal. Carnal Christian, you believed, you had the true faith, to believe on Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You have repented of your sins and you're working to follow Jesus, but you're still doing what you do in the power of the flesh. 
I pray that this morning, some of you, God would give that revelation to. If any, of you may, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally and abradeth not, and he doesn't hold back, and God will give it to him. Here's the amazing thing. Paul said in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul said that we have discerned these things because the Spirit has taught us. Hey, if, if you have been convicted in your heart this morning that you're still a carnal Christian, walking in the dictates of your own flesh, and that you need to be a spiritual believer, you don't need me necessarily to sit down and explain it all to you. Fall before God and be honest before God and acknowledge to God and ask God to give you revelation. Ask God to help you to hear His Spirit. To be led by His Spirit. I'm telling you, Crossway Church, for us to do what God's called us to do in our day and in our time and in our place, we have got to be spiritual people. Led by God Himself. You have to be spiritual people. Led by God. Secondly, this morning, maybe you're here and you're lost. You're not saved. When, when you look at your life, you're not serving God at all. You haven't, fought, you haven't repented of your sins. You're not following Him. Can I plead with you this morning? Run to the cross. Turn your life to God. There is no life anywhere else. Everything else is death. You heard me open up my sermon with the reality there is a counterfeit to everything that is real. Don't let all the counterfeit stuff you've seen in your life keep you from the real, true, living God. Get your eyes off of everybody else this morning and look at yourself and be honest with your own heart. Are you right with God? Are you ready to stand before God today? If today was your day, are you convinced that you're saved? Oh, if you're not, run to Him. He is the giver of life. He has a place for you in His body, in His church. He has a purpose for you. And if you need to be saved, I want you to come this morning. Lord, I pray that You'd move all over this place. God, I have spoken on spiritual things this morning. As the Apostle Paul said, it's a great mystery that I speak concerning Christ and the church. God, I pray right now, first of all, on behalf of our church, Lord. God, I pray You'd forgive us for our carnality. Forgive us, Lord, for at times thinking we're more spiritual than we really are. Forgive us for not having a hunger, those through hunger and thirst after righteousness, those are who still. Forgive us for not having a spiritual, righteous hunger. And I pray that You would stir us as Your people. God, I pray that You would give spiritual revelation of these things. Lord, that You would truly open our ears and our hearts. God, that we would be spiritual. I have unanswered prayers. I have trouble I wish wasn't there.
Yeah.